You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast, episode number 46, April 6th, 2021. This show is produced in partnership with Hospitality Technology and Restaurant Technology Network. Smarter hotels, smarter restaurants. Hey, I'm Joe Tenzaro, a partner with Restaurant CIOs, and I just put my cool little chef's hat on and I'm talking with Skip at the Tech Chef. Strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? Drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu, cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with the tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Welcome back to The Tech Chef. This is your host, Skip Kimple. Thank you so much for taking the time to download today's show and take a listen to our show today, which has quickly risen to the top industry resource for technology related to the restaurant, hotel, and hospitality industry, thanks to all of you. For those of you joining us for the first time, don't be shy. Go ahead and click the subscribe or follow button in your podcasting software so you don't miss a single episode of The Tech Chef. Every week, we are upping our game and bringing on guests that will not only wow you, but give you valuable information to make sure that you are successful in what you do and how you do it. Murtech is only one week away. You can register online right now at murtech.com. This will certainly be an event that you don't want to miss. To register online right now, go to mertech.com. I'm pulling out the big guns today and digging in deep into some futuristic technology with my good friend, Joe Tenzar. Joe is a founding partner of Restaurant CIOs, a strategic advisory company where he and his CIO partners collaborate to help hospitality companies see their restaurant business through the eyes of seasoned CIOs. Joe Tenzar also acts as Chief Strategy Officer for Sunny's Barbecue, one of the largest and most popular barbecue restaurant companies in the country. Tenzar has also led the technology, marketing, finance, and purchasing areas for Sunny's. Before Sunny's Barbecue, Tenzar was the global CIO for the Hard Rock International, where he led the R&D and rollout of many innovative technologies that still affect Hard Rock guests and staff members. After beginning his career as a programmer and manager for financial software companies, Tenzar was a senior technology leader for the second largest arm of the Marriott Corporation. His specialties include a strategic focus on emerging technologies placed in hospitality. He sits on the executive advisory boards for many industry groups, conferences, and cutting-edge hospitality technology companies. Joining me today, we have Joe Tenzar, a true legend in the industry. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our listeners today. Can you give us a little bit of a history about where you came from? Sure, man. And it's been, uh, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to doing this. But yeah, I, I mean, I've been in um, in technology you know, since grade school, I guess. I mean, one of the first people in my school to, to learn how to program a computer on an Apple II 
um, you know, just, just went through kind of the programming ranks, um, you know, took some, some programming classes, had a CIS degree, also had a telecommunications degree, um, eventually got my MBA, but, but, um, you know, I've been just trying to figure out problems, but mostly through the programming and logic side. So understanding how systems work together, um, you know, understanding all of the, the way data moves from one place to another has always been really integral to what I do and, uh, and understanding how that data is going to be used. So, so we understand, you know, how to basically the, the best affect the business, um, for the outcome of that data. So, you know, I've, I've been many roles, um, you know, most notably, I guess I, I was uh, hard rocks global CIO for, uh, for about six, seven years. And, um, since then I've been, um, CIO for, uh, Sunny's barbecue. Uh, I was also, uh, led finance and, uh, marketing and, and, uh, accounting purchasing for that, for that group as well. And, and some uh, strategy stuff. So I've, I've done a lot of stuff in restaurants, um, uh, but mostly focus on how information and how technology can enable the business to do more. Restaurant CIOs, give us a little overview okay. about what, what that is and, um, how it can help a, a restaurant company out there. Yeah, you can tell I'm really good at pitching my own business, but yeah, man, um, restaurant CIOs is a, it's a collaboration of a multiple high powered restaurant CIOs. I mean, we've got, we've got huge brands represented from, from our, um, our six CIOs. Um, and, and basically help small to mid mostly, but also, um, you know, larger chains, um, just understand, uh, in, in the larger chain side, get a second opinion sometimes on, on some initiatives that they'd like to do based on, you know, different, seeing it through different eyes, but for the small to mid brands, it's really those, the group of folks that don't have a full-time CIO, they want to make strategic decisions. They want to open up new channels, et cetera. Um, but they don't have that person on staff. So we don't come in there and, you know, fix printers and, and configure networks and stuff. We're really there only to align the business with technology. So, so uh, we've been having a lot of fun with that and hopefully helping the, in- helping the industry out a lot with that stuff. Well, i got to tell you, Joe, you're really known for being a, one of the top thought leaders in the industry. And what I love about you is the extreme vision of where the industry is headed that you have. Um, you're a very curious soul. You love to go out there and figure out and hear about those things that are maybe they're a little futuristic at this time. Uh, but in most cases, there's really a plan to bring some of these concepts to fruition. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. We, there's so many subjects you and I could talk about, but I think you're the only person I could have this conversation with, and I've been waiting to have it with somebody. So I figured, no better person than Joe. So um, let's let's go right. down let's go down that path now. The bigger category of what we're going to be talking about today that we could kind of put this under would be centralized distribution of food. Does that sound fair? Sure. Yep. I guess that's that. You know, without getting the specific technologies in, that's really what it is. Yeah. It's a, it sounds pretty straightforward until you start throwing in some of these futuristic, cool technology pieces that are currently being worked on. Now, I would have to say some of the most uh, familiar trends right now, obviously, are the commissary kitchens, um, Mm -hmm. the the ghost kitchens. You got the big players like Reef, uh, Kitchen United, Cloud Kitchens, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But but what I like to concentrate on is uh, some of the other stuff that you you and I can really geek out on, um, and that's really the delivery model of the future. So let's start going down that path. Let's let's start off with maybe commissary kitchens and ghost kitchens and dark kitchens because that's a reality of kind of where we're at and it is it is the world we are currently living in. And then we're going to take a step deeper 
of of you know some of the the technology pieces. So maybe you can touch a little bit about yeah. on what we're currently experiencing and how we can leverage some of these technologies that exist out there. You know, in regards to commissary, yeah. ghost kitchens, dark kitchens, etc. Sure, sure, sure. So we've got, you know, the, 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 the whole ghost kitchen has been this, this huge word in the last year and a half, two years. And um, certainly part of COVID, um, you know, it probably rescued a lot of brands because it's easy to spin up, um, you know, a brand or, or take your brand to an area that it hasn't been before. So that was, that's really exciting for a lot of people, especially, you know, going through the, the pandemic. Um, so what that relies on, though, is, um, you know, a smaller footprint um, for distribution of food um, into highly dense populated areas, right? So um, in, if you don't have, you know, if you're downtown Miami, for example, you know, it's extremely expensive to get real estate there. Um, you can go with Reef into a parking lot or, or um, you know, the Cloud Kitchens into a, you know, into a facility that's not necessarily on, you know, on Main Street and Broad. And, um, you know, it's basically allows you to um, you get your third party or, or your third party marketplaces or, you know, in some cases your own fleet, uh, to deliver your food to that general vicinity, right? But that, there's a there's a range to that, and um, you know the that model really relies a lot on uh, geographic distribution into highly dense areas. Um, that the the ghost kitchen model doesn't necessarily work in suburbs or rural, right? Because um, you know it's a it's a smaller you know range of distribution because that food needs to get somewhere fast. Um, you know, and, and there are only certain methods that get there, you know, really highly dependent on third party marketplaces in many cases. And those aren't always in uh, some of the more rural areas. So so that's certainly something that's that's um, got a lot of traction recently. And there are a lot of players and a lot of new players coming in there. But, um, you know, then then it becomes, you know, the next step. And I'm, hopefully we're going to talk about, you know, how do you get the food from that place somewhere else to the consumer? Right. Well, I think that's really what we're about to dig into now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the meat and potatoes of no, no pun intended um, of really what I wanted to talk about. Now, I'm going to relate this first subject back to an experience I had. I went to the very first food on demand conference. It was outside of Dallas and Mm -hmm. I think it was Postmates. They were, they were doing a luncheon session and they were talking about their delivery robots that they had. I think it was in San Francisco that they were trying out what do you know about yeah. delivery robots and where that whole aspect is headed? Yeah, I'm not, you know, there's so much going on. And it's so, you know, it's, it's so fluid because there are advancements every day, but you know, so that the Postmates originally started out, I believe with a, a company called Starship and they, they were probably one of the earliest delivery robot um, you know, mechanisms that were out there. And they were, I think around 2014 or so. So they, um, you know, Postmates got into that uh, DoorDash got into that in California Postmates in DC, um, and and but you know we'll we'll talk later that Postmates actually um, you know when they when Uber bought them and a little bit before we're we're moving off the Starship platform. But Starship basically is a it looks like a cooler on six wheels. It's a you know a lot, tiny little thing. Um, it's got a limited range. I mean most of these things have like a two mile radius. Uh, they can carry up to forty pounds. They go like four miles an hour. So we're not going to be breaking any speed records here. And these things drive on the sidewalks and um, they share. Uh, the sidewalk with pedestrians, obviously. So, um, you know, maybe we can talk about some, some, you know, liability and legal issues associated with that, but, but certainly, you know, that, that was one of the first ones that came out. 
Um, Amazon hopped onto that. Um, they've got the Scout vehicle that's also a six-wheeled sidewalk dwelling robot. Um, not necessarily food, but you know, as they enter more and more into the food space with uh, Whole Foods and other things, it's, it's possible that they'll get into that you know, food delivery side more. Uh, again, they were in Washington, Washington State, um, but they also are doing things in Atlanta and Franklin, Tennessee, um, as of July of 2020. So, so Amazon's got more or less the same footprint. Um, I mentioned earlier Uber and Post, uh, Postmates. Now that Postmates is part of Uber, uh, they've got the Surf platform now. And um, it, what's interesting, uh, they're, they, it looks like a little shopping cart with eyes. And now they're introducing LiDAR because LiDAR is getting more, um, you know, I guess, less expensive or, or you know, at least uh, you know, feasible to put into a, you know, a, a robot without having it cost millions of dollars. Um, you know, before they were really dependent on cameras and radar and ultrasonic sensors and things like that. Um, but what Uber Postmates have, they have the, the little shopping cart look, but they also have a little touch screen for customers to interact with because, you know, this whole premise of, um, you know, these little robot looking sidewalk dwellers, uh, you know, they deliver the food in a couple of mile radius, but they have to wait there for somebody to come out and get it. So usually that's with a, you know, a smartphone that, that can, you know, you tap when you get near with an NFC chip or um, some, you know, web-based, hey, I'm here sort of thing where it pops open the lock on the hood. Um, so that's really, really dependent on that. Now, another interesting one is um, refraction, uh, Rev1. So that, you know, people are realizing that there's um, even San Francisco stopped, um, they banned sidewalk robots in 2017, which is interesting being the tech giant that they are. But I'm sure early robots had issues with, uh, you know, with <laughs> not being as good as they expected it to be and probably tripping people or whatever. Um, so they banned it. But since then, 12 states, I think, have um, they have laws now that they allow um, they have the right to operate on sidewalks and to classify them as pedestrians. So they, they can use crosswalks and all that sort of thing. It's going to be an interesting, you know, when, when we have, uh, hey, I didn't see the drone in the crosswalk. Well, are, are you get a ticket for that or, you know, will you pay for the job? It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because, um, you know, because the sidewalk thing is, is certainly uh, it's got limitations. Um, refraction Rev1, though, is like a three-wheeled bicycle. So that one used bicycle lanes. So you've got a little bit longer range on it. Um, you've got different rules to play on because it really shares the road. But again, issues with that. Um, so those are all kind of last-mile robot stuff. And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going down this rabbit. There's so much to talk about here, and I know we don't have all day. But, um, but those are kind of the last-mile things. And those are the ones you've seen early, and, and you've seen probably videos of these little cooler-looking things flying down the sidewalk at you know, a, a speeding four mile an hour. <laughs> yeah. now, do you want me to go on? I mean, I can, I could do this, man. Well, <laughs> so yeah, well I, I know you on. could. Oh, I know you could. And we, we, we got a ton of stuff to talk about and I'm not quite sure where to bring this up, but since you already mentioned it, let's go ahead and talk about the liability piece. Have you researched any of that? You know, what yeah. is the, what is that going to look like? Cause I, I can see so many things going wrong. And once again, yeah, who's liable for this stuff? Yeah, this, you know, it's Wild West right now, a little bit. I mean, like I said, there has been legislation in place for delivery robots, but a lot of that was done by that Starship company um, that I mentioned earlier, the, kind of the early star, Starship company. I mean, they came in um, and they, they started, you know, the, the legislation, you know, getting, getting um, local and you know, jurisdictions to say, hey, this is cool by showing them how the robot works and kind of, you know, probably going to a town council meeting and saying, hey, look, it, it doesn't hit you when you're walking down the street. And so they've got, you know, at least initial um, validation for that. But then you look at San Francisco that says, well, okay, now we're banning them because we've seen issues. 
Um, and there's a lot of opportunity here. I mean, if there's damage or injury, these things, I mean, who, who is liable for it? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the company that's delivering? Kind of like who is in control? Because some of these things, even though they're highly dependent on AI and kind of neural networks, they're, um, you know, sometimes it's a fleet manager app that's control, maybe controlling, you know, 50 of these little robots or something. Um, but, you know, then you also have the, the AI argument, right? And that, that's the same thing with autonomous driving with, you know, that Elon's going through that, you know, if there's a, you know, a busload of kids over here and a nun on the sidewalk, which one do you hit? Um, so there's, you know, there's going to be, this is, again, this is going to be crazy. And there's also, you know, there's also privacy issues with, you know, the, most of these things have cameras on them. You know, do we have the right to record people to make a, to make the AI better, et cetera, et cetera. So, man, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun in the next couple of years. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, you brought up autonomous vehicles. I, I saw an article the other day about uh, Chipotle investing in, in an autonomous delivery company called Neuro. Um, sure. You know, obviously the what sparked all this, you know, in, in the news and became mainstream was that um, – uh, Domino's pizza delivery vehicle that they started to put out on commercials and stuff like that. So what do, what do you know about that whole side of the business? Yeah, you know, then that's what, what I think that's got probably, you know, it's more expensive, obviously, but it's got broader range. I mean, the ones we've mentioned so far are really last mile robots. I mean, they only two mile range. You can imagine at four miles an hour, you know, you can't, you don't want to send it more than, more than two mi- four miles for, uh, you know, sorry, two miles because, you know, it's going to take 30 minutes to get there and back. And then, you know, you've got a, and it only has enough room for one thing. So, and one lock. Uh, now they're getting smarter where they have multiple hatches and things, but, but still it's very limited. Now the Neuro, and there's another one, um, you know, RoboMart, AutoX, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about those, but Neuro is an R2. It's a four wheel kind of open road, uh, can drive on public streets. And it's right now it's only, I think in California, uh, it's got multiple compartments and it's temperature controlled. So that's kind of cool. You can definitely see that with um, with food delivery because you can what one compartment could be hot and one compartment could be cold. And, you know, what was it? The um, is it the McDL2? What was that thing where the McDonald's had packaging set up for the lettuce on one side and the hot hamburger on the other side? It was a really cool packaging idea. But you can see that happening with with food delivery where you've got you know, your smoothie on one side and your and your hot pork sandwich on the other side. And, and uh, you know, you can deliver it in the same vehicle if you want to use the space for that. Or you can use the four compartments. I think there's only four on those um, to, to, you know, offer different um, orders for different people. So it'd be interesting how those how those work. But now the range gets a lot longer. Right. So, you know, the R2s, I don't know the, specifically the range on these things, but I imagine because they're kind of four wheel chassis battery base that they, you know, they're probably a hundred miles on a charge, if not more, um, you know, Tesla's are up to almost 500 now. So, um, so very feasible that these things are going to be able to go longer distances at higher speeds. So that opens up the world, um, from the kind of the taking things away from the now third party delivery mechanisms that are in place. Um, then there's things like auto X, which is a car kind of like Waymo, the Google Waymo stuff. Um, that's got a cooled trunk and, it, and it's completely, you know, it's kind of an autonomous vehicle. Um, RoboMart's another one. And that's a stop and shop, I think, invested in Robo. It's a grocery store, but you can see some, some potential food delivery, you know, re- restaurant delivery um, applications as well. It's kind of like a little van and uh, it you know, opens up and you do your shopping and, and look at your fresh vegetables that kind of just wanders around. So you can imagine, you know, a farmer's market coming to your front, front lawn, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but in this, then, of course, we've got to talk about our buddy Elon. And, and you know, I think Tesla's going to own this space for the kind of the broad range delivery. I don't know if you've heard about this, Skip, but 
Tesla's got this whole vision, and um, boy, I mean, I can't imagine Elon just disrupting more things, but this is the coolest idea. So in the future, as more and more people buy Teslas, and there are already a ton of people buying Teslas, um, the, the intention is when they become autonomous, fully autonomous, and we don't know exactly when that will be, hopefully fairly soon, there's a possibility of basically you know, buying or leasing your Tesla and then when you're not using it, which is most of the time, because it's sitting in your driveway or sitting in work parking lot or whatever, it goes and picks up things from a restaurant and delivers it to people completely autonomously. Now, they're calling that robo-taxis. And that is just incredible. And can you imagine that disrupting the world, basically from traffic standpoint, from a, um, you know, a, a value proposition standpoint, when you're buying a car, well, sure, I'm buying it, but I'm really making money on it because it's delivering food. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing how much that's going to disrupt the world. Yeah. And only a gentleman like Elon Musk could come up with the futuristic concept like that. I mean, it is, it is brilliant. When you mentioned that to me the other day, I, you know, it's, it's been sitting in the back of my mind. I, it, it's such a brilliant idea to, to be the cars yeah. already exist. The technology is already in there. It's probably just a firmware upgrade. They can push to the vehicle yeah. and it's and done. It's legislation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you've got to, you, you got to break the barriers of the legislation for sure. But, sure. but yeah, man, he, he you know, who, who, if you would have said, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, when we were done launching that rocket, we're going to go ahead and land it. And you'd be like, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> go Elon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and he, I think well, I, he's starting to get more and more power within the, not power, but more and more influence um, with the government as well. I mean, everything that he's done for the space program and continues to do, I mean, he's he's a major player in the success of where we're headed, I think, with the space program. So I think, yeah, you know, he, he's he's promoted crazy ideas before that everybody said wouldn't work. I think I think people yeah. now listen to him and say, okay. Let's let's take a listen yeah. to what he's talking about. Let's figure out a way to get it done. Because if if he can get it done, why why can't the rest of us work together to get it done? Yeah, no kidding. No, we're definitely in for some really cool things to happen in restaurant delivery in the next five years. And um, you know, it's gonna it will really disrupt the way things are being done right now. And I'm really excited about it. So I naturally progresses into another company that I want to talk about. But this goes into the drone delivery aspect, which. I have a passion for, and I, I know you've talked about it quite a bit, and you've got a passion for this as well. There's a, a company called Zing. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but what, mm-hmm. they, what they do is you, as a drone owner, for instance, if you own a certain type of drone and if you have the proper FAA certification, you can sign up for their program. And they started to get some real traction during COVID where – they, they can basically take over your drone. I mean, you set up a landing site and they, they have a bunch of logistics behind it, but they basically could take control of your drone and do deliveries, maybe medicines, maybe food. They haven't gotten to food yet. I mean, this is completely experimental, but they are actively working on it. Um, there was a video mm-hmm. the other day where they were working with um, uh, Cafe de Monde in, uh, in New Orleans where they're delivering yeah. bonnets across the Mississippi. And if you were to take, for instance, the, the bridge to go across, it would take 21 minutes. Um, to, mm-hmm. do, to deliver it via drone, it's only a half mile. It only took three minutes. So obviously it was, it was an interesting video because they were able to talk about some of the complexities around current drone flying today and, and why, um, why it's not possible to do, immediately launch a drone delivery service. The FAA has to get involved now, the FAA has been working with, I think, 13 different cities 
on test projects to figure out the logistics of how do we make this happen? If we're about to launch tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of drones in the air, you know, how do we get past current regulations that are currently out there? How do we make it safe? Once again, the whole liability piece comes into play as well. But um, what what can you tell me about your experience of your um, your you know just your research on drone delivery? Well, I think you, you're probably more of an expert on drones because I know you're a drone pilot and everything else. Um, you know, I, I think you're you're going to see the same same liability discussions that we've had with autonomous driving um, and and um, and robot deliveries. Um, it, it's you know, there's, there's liability issues, there's legislation issues, there's privacy issues. Um, you know, and I think there's you know, people would say there's a higher risk of liability with a drone because of you know it, depending on how you can handle winds and handle obstructions and things falling from the sky versus, um, you know, something somebody getting tripped by a robot, I think would be a little bit different, but, you know, again, I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that, but, um, you know, I think the drones are, pro, they're more in line with the last mile robot players. Right. And, um, you know, you're not going to see these necessarily being, you know, seven, eight mile distances, uh, there and back, but I guess you could, I mean, nowadays you tell me again, I mean, this, uh, from what I understand, you know, you've got, you know, probably uh, 45 minutes each way or something, or maybe it's 20 minutes. I, you, again, you're the expert here, but I'm saying that the, the method and the, um, the applicability or the application for these things are really close to what the robot players are, at least from what I understand it to be, where you're really dependent upon higher dense areas. Um, and I love the Cafe de Monde example because that's the perfect um, uh, scenario for a drone versus a delivery robot, right? It's still very high dense populated area. Um, it's still as the bird flies, you know, no, you know, using that analogy, perfect analogy, actually um, it's half a mile. It would have taken 20 minutes another way. So if there's any water obstructions, any physical obstructions where there's no road or sidewalk or any way to get to something as, you know, a direct line or, you know, easily, easy for a robot or an autonomous vehicle, uh, drones are the perfect solution for that, but I don't know much as much about drones themselves as I know you do, Mr. Skip. So you tell me about the the, uh, the distance that these things can go and where you see it as last mile or broad range. Well, there's definitely um, federal regulations behind all that stuff. For instance, the height that you can go. Um, you know, you need a line of sight. You need to be able to keep a line of sight on the vehicle itself, and these are all FAA regulations. Um, you can fly at twilight with, um, you know, certain lights that are attached, uh, to your, to your drone. Oh, you can apply for waivers with the FAA, like a, a night waiver, which is not easy to get, mm. but, um, and there's also, uh, I think it's called part 135, which is a, a new, a new waiver that allows a drone company to be able to go outside of the line of sight. Now that, that plays into multiple complications. For instance, if the drone pilot, because at the end of the day, the drone pilot is responsible for that drone. Um, you're not supposed to fly it over people. Um, it's not supposed to go over traffic. Um, you know, you've got weather conditions to play with. I mean, there's so many complications. And if you, it, mm -hmm. that, that's kind of why I think they're concentrating on the Tampa Bay scenario, for instance, where you can fly food across the bay um, to sure. homes or, what I'm seeing, um, which is interesting, are companies like FedEx and UPS that have really jumped on this. So they take a complicated situation like that. Let's say they have a distribution point 
Um, let's say use the cafe demand situation. Let's say they have a distribution point that is right next to cafe demand and they need mm-hmm. to get a package over to the other side. So what they, what they're doing is they're staging their FedEx and UPS vehicles in a staging point on the other side with like barcodes on top of their trucks. So when the drone gets to the location with the, with the, uh, the, the delivery, it knows which truck to go to and it will actually drop it to that location. And then the truck yeah. does the last mile delivery from there. So there you Yeah, that's awesome. They're kind of using drones as to get past the most complicated time consuming pieces rather than. You know, that's it. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You, and I'm sorry to interrupt, man, but, but I mean, I'm, I'm just so jazzed about this. The, um, you know, that brings me to, you know, Amazon's a, a huge player in autonomous and, you know, in research and things like that. And, um, you know, these last mile versus, you know, kind of, uh, you know, longer range versus last, last mile stuff. Um, they're experimenting with things like the, you know, the driver goes into a neighborhood and distributes multiple little robots, you know, little scout vehicles that go out and deliver to, you know, at multiple people at one time. So he can maybe either drive around and pick them up later or, but I can, the only thing I can picture when I, I hear about this and I haven't seen it, but I'm just thinking like clone wars and star Wars where, you know, these things just come out and they on the conveyor belt and they just like go on the ground and they start scattering like bugs. And it's like, can you imagine how scary that's going to be? But, but, uh, but that last mile stuff's cool. And, and the nighttime stuff is cool too, because, um, the six wheel robot, I don't think anybody's gotten permission to use uh, the six wheels at night yet. So, you know, that's interesting for rope for restaurants, certainly, because, you know, a lot of the dinner stuff happens at dark, you know, and especially in northern uh, environments. So it's, you know, there's there's a lot of hurdles here. Um, and and but the, the drone stuff is really interesting to me. So I'm glad you brought all that stuff up, because I think there's there are certain situations and circumstances that are perfect for drones and then others that are probably more perfect for this last mile stuff. Um, but I think at the end of the day um, with uh, you know, unless you're in an urban center um, you know, you are going to have to concentrate or, or probably focus on things that have a longer range and are able to kind of take the place of the third party delivery mechanisms today. Agreed. And for instance, you know, I don't want anybody out there thinking that, okay, you know, in a year or two, I'm going to be able to go out, I'm going to buy a drone and I'm going to be able to deliver my, my pizza. I mean, I don't think that's how it's going to work. For instance, there's a company in Israel that's, that's helping the FAA or I'm pretty sure they're working very, very closely with the FAA to create a drone, um, air logistics program. So they can monitor, you know, the different levels of, you know, the different elevations of where the drones are and keep track of everything and, and almost a, a drone control center. So there's tons of, of logistics behind that. And I think what's going to happen is when the FAA does work all this out, obviously it's going to be very, very closely watched. And, and you know, there's obviously going to be incidents that happen that are going to have to be mitigated. But I think you're going to find companies – I wouldn't be surprised if Uber's already got their secret um, sec- section of the company open, their drone company, where you know they're going to offer that as a service. So you'll have companies with fleets of drones to do this kind of delivery for you. Now, um, yep. you know, and they'll they'll be able to charge the guests a little bit more. Hey, you want your meal in in five minutes instead of uh, twenty five minutes? You know, click here for you know expedited service it'll cost you three dollars more and they'll deliver it via drone you know if it's if it's possible but sure certainly this stuff is not going to happen overnight but i do see a major push 
forward for making this happen because I think they've they've proven the use case scenario and the feasibility of this actually not just being a conceptual but actually being a real solution to to certain logistical problems. Yeah, and you could you imagine? I mean, if we could dream a little bit here, thinking about some collaboration, and maybe this is you know Amazon's play, it probably is to get more into restaurants because um, they own just about everything else. But, uh, it, you know, to, to kind of pop on, Hey, you know what? I know you're getting a, you know, this, this delivery of a new sink today to your front door. Um, it's probably going to come around noon. You want some food <laughs> and they kind of collaborate with restaurants or collaborate with their own restaurants or whatever to, to start of to start because, because this last mile stuff is, um, you know, it, it's becoming so machinely, so, so, so AI based to understand the, the most efficient route to get from one thing to the other, including more, um, you know, I guess, you know, inputs to that would be really interesting to get to see what kind of partnerships might develop between, you know, the Amazons and the, or the UPSs and FedExs and the food companies or food delivery companies. Um, I think that's a natural uh, marriage. It's just a matter of, you know, the, whether or not they're willing to share profits or whatever that may be or what those partnerships might look like. But I think that might be fun to explore at some point. Another interesting thing I'm seeing happening is the call for more U.S.-based drone companies. The largest company out there is DGI, and they're based out of China. And there's huge, mm. huge concerns. The military has stopped using DGI drones because they're worried that information is being captured and, and passed back mm. to the Chinese government. So I know there's a there's you know going back into the privacy clauses and all of that stuff. Uh, I think there's going to be some changes there as well, and we will see some natural born um, companies within here in the United States. GoPros, gosh, they're a perfect example where they were about to release a drone, but this is before DJI even became popular, and they kept missing their deadlines and they missed their deadlines and. I remember the the Christmas shelves at Best Buy were set up and ready for the drones, and they missed they missed it, and they didn't get them out until like March or April. And just that time frame, other companies took advantage of that, and all of a sudden they became main players. and And GoPro all of a sudden was no longer a player in the market, and their and their stocks just tanked because of it. It was horrible. But I think we will see more U.S. born companies uh, for this purpose. Yeah, and even even it was interesting. The robot side, even Segway um, had a ro- has a robot division that they're messing with as well. So it could you know double up as food delivery and transportation. So uh, a lot of interesting things potentially. Well, Joe, unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, like, come like, on, yep, I know. Go. Come uh, on, we got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we we literally, I mean, we literally could talk about this all day long. So I can't wait to catch back up with you uh, at a, at another conference, which I'm hoping is going to happen very soon. We'll see. Heck yeah, man! I can't wait. Can't wait. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. It was really fun doing this. Well, thanks for your insight. You know, it's always fun to talk to you about our industry, and hopefully, we didn't geek out too much for our listeners. Uh, you're one of the few people, like I said, I can talk to about this and who understands the vision and the reality of some of these things coming down the road. So your time is so much appreciated to myself and my listeners. So thank you, Joe. Yeah, man. No problem. Thank you. Joe is one of those rock star guests that you can only hope you get a chance to spend some time with. Luckily, I have known Joe long enough to convince him to spend some time with all of us. I love his futuristic views.
I can't think of anyone more appropriate to have that type of conversation with. Question for you. Would you like to contact me or do you have a question for one of my guests on the show? If so, you can reach out to me via everything social at Skip Kimple. This includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also go to our website at skipkimple.com where you can find the show notes for this show and every other show that we've done. You can also comment on the comment hotline at 954-302-0851. Once again, that's 954-302-0851. Next week, I will be covering the Mertech Online Conference and we'll have back-to-back episodes to cover both days. Super stoked for next week's events. So as I always say, until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. Hey, 